You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi all, I'm Kylie. And I'm Monica. And today we're going to be speaking to you about uh, Lent 3 readings. So Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17, Psalm 19 and 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 will be our our focus for discussion. So to get us uh, started, Monica, uh, can you kick us off with a bit of information about our reading in Exodus. What's the context here? What do we need to know as we approach this? Okay, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20 verses 1 to 17 contains what are called the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. And um, these rules and regulations uh, stipulated here are best understood in light of the experiences of the Hebrew people um, up to that point. Okay, and I think... um, We need to remember or recall that in Genesis 15 verse 13, we are told that they would be in slavery for 400 years. And this generation now that Moses is addressing is actually a generation that was born in slavery, or you can say born in captivity, abused, suppressed, um, completely subjugated in a system that perhaps did not see them as humans. So when Moses begins negotiations with the Pharaoh, uh, to have them released, uh, the oppression and the labor was intensified. As uh, you know, if you recall um, Exodus, uh, the first part of Exodus, and we do not know how long this process of negotiation took, uh, but there are allusions uh, in the in particularly chapter six that the people were so broken in spirit that Moses had difficulty in communicating with them, and so this is something that needs to be uh, and should be imagined. You know, centuries of oppression can take away and erase many things in a people, imagination, um, hope, just the ability to conceive freedom, what freedom is like. So they had no spark of hope or faith left in their hearts and their spirits are broken. And it was as if Moses was talking. Yeah, (laughs) completely other language or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, because until now they had seen no hope, they had seen no promise, they had seen no life. And so how could they believe what Moses was saying? And so all they knew was slavery. Yes. The the cruelty, the violence, the fear, uh, the anger, the bondage, uh, you know, and so... And so here, he, Moses needs to, you know, not only secure their physical release from Egypt, but he had to also work on their minds and, and their bodies and enable, uh, allow them to imagine now what, what freedom is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in chapter 19, very quickly, they have arrived at Sinai. Moses is conversing yeah. with God and God tells them that the people should recall what God has done in Egypt and how God is now going to carry the people of Israel on eagle's wings. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. now God has brought them to God's self. Yeah? Uh, and then God says, if you obey me fully and keep my cov- covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Okay? So, so we're at the, that point where yeah. thinking like you've had this kind of experience yeah. of trauma and stuff and then 
how does it feel for like so this is God's address to you and so this is immediately before what we're going to move into now now is right it, yes yeah, beautiful yeah yeah so so uh, so uh, here the people are at Sinai and they are hearing God speaking but there's thunder and lightning and I you know a, a sneaky suspicion whether it was fear that said yes 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 we will do everything yeah, that yeah. you have <laughs> then you know that you ask us to do uh, but but they agree to uh, to entering into this relationship with God. So the first thing that God is doing in chapter 19 is to say you are my people. Yeah. Okay? And now we have we have a relationship if you agree to this. Yeah. And and the relationship therefore is based on da 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 da. da. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mutual so, understandings here. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, uh, all of us uh, all of us know that for a relationship to work uh, there needs to be expectations there are expectations there need to be some rules of uh, of interaction uh, you know um, uh, we have to just stop for a moment and think about how our relationships work in the world today whether it is between employer and employee husband and wife uh, parent and child friends yep. even two girls or two yep. boys having friends or classmates or yep. Yep. workmates your colleagues every relationship is bound by the word regulations and rules sounds very strict <laughs> and stark but that is not there are expectations yeah, yep. and when those expectations are not met there is a breach in the relationship or there's a break in the relationship um so first of all we need to talk about you know what is it that make relationships work yeah, yeah. and and i guess that is what the text is uh, is alluding to and what we have in Exodus 20 therefore is this uh, are these rules yep. and regulations yep. that are going to be that that are going to undergird yep. the relationship that God and the people of Israel are going to have yeah so this so these are um i, I really like how you put it this mm. is the the foundational kind of expectation mm. sort of navigating this relationship mm. and i guess one of the things i mean people will be very used to having the the 10 commandments talked mm. about as a set of kind of um uh, laws or regulations in a kind of almost um ooh, uh, i was going to say uh you know like in an also and and sort of almost criminal justice kind of framework mm-hmm. or something you know like yeah. um as it might be used in you know the play the crucible or something mm-hmm. like this right but actually one of the things that, um that's interesting about it it seems to me is that these are not written like those kinds of rules there's not a set of uh sentences associated is yeah. this a thing we should be noticing here well you should be noticing that these are first of all foundational rules that yep. that are really essential for this relationship to work yep. and there are two main parts the first part talks about the relationship with god and how you relate to god and the second half are rules with regard to how you relate to your neighbors yep. and so uh so therefore the the vertical and the horizontal are taken yep. care of in 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 very very basic terms simple sentences Yep. and um and um and it doesn't you know most often most of these rules d- don't stipulate what will happen if you disobey them yes um, yeah. because they function as kind of a preamble to the book of the covenant that follows which has you know hundreds of other rules with regard yeah. to what happens if you what yeah. is it that you're expected to do and what happens if you don't and yeah. what the punishments are but these first the set of 10 uh, do not give you um give you specific uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you yeah. know the, the consequences yeah, yeah. Do, do, do don't mention the consequences yeah. of disobedience yeah different kind of code. yeah 
Okay, so yeah. other mm. things that um, that I was wondering about when I when I read this and I wanted to ask mm. you, um, I I really notice, and I wonder if some others of our um, readers, uh, our listeners, will also have noticed this: the language that we get. I'm mm. going to open the um, correct verse to get mm. this, but the, the section that we've got about. I am a jealous God. Mm. So this is in verse 5, mm. um, reading from the NRSV. Mm. Um, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing mm. children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of mm. those who reject me. Mm. Um, and, of course, I also noticed the next verse where there is a contrast and that here we've got God showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation mm. of those who love me. Mm. So on the one hand I'm wondering you know, if we're thinking here and especially hearing you speak about that enslavement context mm. that people are coming from, um, you know, there's a, an expectation that our actions affect future generations. Mm. So uh, is the point here the, the asymmetry, the difference between um, the way that the punishment is, the number of generations the punishment has an effect on mm. and the thousand generations that steadfast love is going to affect uh, so that's one of my questions but the other part is just i mean is there anything about the the way that jealous god is being talked about here should we be worried about a god described like this um some people would be yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people would be uh again in relationships <laughs> yes yes you know um there's always a partner who's perhaps a little more committed to the relationship than the other. I don't know. But, you know, here is a God who is saying, yeah, I love you. I yes. want you to be my people. I have selected yep. you to be my treasured possession. Therefore, yes. I'm going to do everything that I can to keep you within my fold, you know. And I guess the the word jealous can be can be misunderstood. Uh, jealousy it is like often toxic masculinity, masculinity at this point, doesn't yeah. it? But but is but there more to it in the I, Hebrew? I, I I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the word can also be translated as uh, I have a zeal. The yes. word is zeal. Yes. So it's a it's a passion, you yes. know. Um, of course, passion taken to the extreme can be also difficult <laughs> sure. um, uh, but basically God is saying yeah I, I'm going to fight for you yeah. you know I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that this works yeah. and and um, yeah sometimes it could also lead to a little bit of violence I suppose and I I can't think of um, how better to explain uh, mm -hmm. this notion of of jealousy? But the word jealousy is: I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to be uh, caring for you. I'm going. I'm passionate about passionate. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm passionate about you, and there is this framework for punishment. But in fact, my passionate love is mm -hmm. actually going to be far more enduring the, the thousand generations. Generation, yeah. 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 But I think we also need to acknowledge that all, we think whatever we do has only consequences for us in the here and the now. Yes. But there are always repercussions in yes. for the future, for someone else. Decisions that you make have implications for people around you. Yes. Uh, whether you are aware of it or not. And I think, um, and I think, that is what the text is saying, that yes. you need to be wise in how you behave yep. because it has, it has, it, it can influence your children. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, I mean, if I can Which think of. Which we probably do know. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> think of, of I can think of a hundred, hundreds of conversations with my daughter who will say, yep. but you said this, yes. but you do it. 
so why can't i you know yep. so so this is this is uh, uh, this is the uh, intergenerational um yep. Yep. consequence you yep. know yep. of of something that you do or something that you say or or uh, uh, the, how you behave yep. has yep. repercussions and i think just to be cognizant of that or to be aware of that is extremely uh, extremely important yeah yeah yep. and we can imagine lots of structural issues of course climate crisis mm-hmm. is like a, a a very present one globally we have mm-hmm. all sorts of conversations about in a, in our australian context about the um intergenerational consequences mm-hmm. of the the colonial um setting in mm-hmm. australia so yeah, lot, yeah lots of things yeah that resonate i think with yeah. that yeah. future consequence yeah yeah uh, i think i even the first the first part of the of this set of commandments are, are significant in that you know he, he, you've had all these human leaders now who've been telling you yep. how you should behave and you know you're under my control pharaohs have been jealous as well if you think of how they functioned i'm not trying to equate the pharaoh and and yahweh here uh, but there are there, there's a certain um, jealousy that the pharaoh also exudes yep. you know uh, and, and it's a jealousy that is also based on power on um, on control whereas i think the jealousy that that is spoken of in relation to yahweh the god here is not is not controlled there's a certain freedom as yep. well when says you know you should worship me but <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so yes. um yeah yep. so that's 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 the distinction that is being made between the leaders that you've had until now and i who am now going to lead you to yep. become so that you might become my treasured yep. possession there's one can make a difference between how the pharaoh functioned and how yahweh functions yeah yeah uh, in, in the first part yeah, yeah. that's great yeah. The, the, thinking then about the um the second uh not quite mm. half mm. a bit over half the second section mm. of uh of commandments um I mean, I'm thinking about how we might use it in worship and there, it might be that people actually do do some conversation about this in the context of, of these and then focus on one or two of the mm-hmm. of the things in, mm-hmm. in their in their reflections. That, that one of the ones that I that particularly stands out to me is the um, is the commandment about ca- keeping Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and um, I'm, there are things that stand out to me, especially listening to you speaking about the enslavement context, about that the Sabbath, um, passage specifically mm. at verse mm. specifically mentions um, the need to give rest not only to not mm. only yourselves to keep mm. rest but to give this rest to your mm. slaves yeah as well. I think this is quite a you know uh, I mean the 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 the, the revolutionary uh, aspect of this of this law uh, has to be has to be emphasized I yes. mean here's a community that had no rest that were always had to be at work you know at the beck and call of of their masters uh, while in slavery and so here god is ordaining a day of rest you know uh, which which is applicable not just to the po- those in positions of power but to everyone including the ass and the donkey mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. and and actually the deuteronomy actually spells it out why because you were slaves in egypt yeah. you know so so in exodus that is not mentioned but but the the fact remains that for for people this is this is like yeah like the uh, icing on the cake you know yep. <laughs> we are free but we also get a day of rest yep. um yep. 
and it, it you know i was just recently introduced to this book called uh, rest as uh, resistance oh great and and i guess for me uh, i haven't read the book i just heard about it yeah. uh, but um one can look up google i think yes. to find yeah, it yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically what what uh, what hit home for me is is this notion of the fact that is this notion that rest is embedded within the very active cre- is in the very act of creation yes. you know um and therefore um it is a resistance against this really really uh busy <laughs> yes yes a uh, busy life that we yeah. that we tend to live yeah, so yeah. there are there are a lot of things that one can be said yes uh yeah. today where we we think the more busy we are the more important totally. we are this this connect exactly to the the story and resource that came to mind for me about mm. this that is from a book called Practicing Our Faith that's edited by Diana C Bass mm. and I can put a note in mm. the show notes about mm. that but um <clears throat> this book it's it's not a new book mm. but it was quite foundational for me because I grew up um with resources like you know um celebration of discipline thinking mm. about the kind of uh parts of um a faithful life mm. um and then this book was much more invitational and actually the story about how they came to write this book mm-hmm. is that it was a group of people sitting around over lunch on a Sunday talking about how busy they'd been mm-hmm. um, and uh, one of the people suddenly stopped in this conversation and said, we're actually talking about breaking a commandment here. We're mm-hmm. doing it really blithely. We're almost bragging about how busy we've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and together they made a commitment to try and keep Sabbath and mm-hmm. to see what change this made in their lives mm-hmm. it's the first of the practices mm-hmm. in this book that they then went on to 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 follow mm-hmm. um and one of the you know they noticed all sorts of things which fits exactly with this reading for instance one is that they noticed that it didn't matter if everybody stops for a day mm-hmm. it didn't matter whether you had too much work or too little work mm-hmm. through the week you mm-hmm. were all actually the same on mm-hmm. this at the, on this and, day and yeah. obviously there are different ways we need to navigate yeah. with people on lower Wages mm. might not have flexibility to work out when that when mm. that time is that they might be able to stop and they may actually not be able to stop. But mm. how are we, um, yeah, embodying mm. that kind of unbusiness? Yeah. That that yeah. is, a, I, I love yeah. the title of the other book. That is yeah. a kind of an act of resistance, resistance against yeah. the busyness of yeah. life. Yeah. You know, yeah. because God rested, we are entitled to the to those. You know, this being created in the image of God yeah. <laughs> also means that we we do what God did. And that is resting. And you know, giving rest to giving those rest we, yeah. you know, have any kind of um, direction over, mm, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah. there's heaps of great stuff in that reading. Yeah. I think if we move on now, we're yeah. going to talk about very briefly about Psalm 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Psalm 19. Um, very interesting psalm that you know calls to uh, that recalls a number of major biblical themes, you know, such as creation, law, sin, forgiveness, uh, and ethical conduct. Yes. And I guess, in a way, that's the way. That's the reason why it, it relates also to the Exodus text. You know, yep. uh, the the emphasis on ethical conduct, um, and so it the psalm offers us a very rich. Um, um, collections or collection of uh, of images uh, upon which we can um, we can reflect uh, which we can yeah we can reflect on so um 
So I think as as part of the uh, task of the preacher is to see you know which of these themes speak to you, yes, <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know bring though and which might relate to the needs of your particular uh, congregation, yes, uh, and bring those into conversation with yeah. each other uh, and with the context in which you are. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you might say this psalm is a bit of a rich feast of yeah. things you can kind of pick out which dish mm. you're wanting to match with the other dish, dish you're working right. with. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the theme of of creation, this uh, the theme of the law, the the t- uh, or the the scripture or yep. the Torah, if you're yep. working with the Hebrew text, um, and 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 recognizing what what creation is saying to us about God, recognizing what the Torah or or the law or scripture is demanding uh, of us, mm. um, and uh, recognizing the virtues that that will result mm. yeah. <laughs> from a study of of the yeah. scripture. Yeah. So um, and so, therefore, you find that the uh, uh, the three sections of the psalm you have uh, you have creation in the first part, you have the Torah or the law uh, or instruction uh, in the second part, um, and then um, the third uh, the third part is the need for um, God's um, salvation. Uh, yeah, so in a way, uh, the the. Uh, the, the text you know is is uh, is a is a conversation between uh, creation uh, instruction and the salvific um, power of God yeah 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 that's great and mm. it seems like it's sort of it's setting out these kind of big picture things about God's orientation to creation and mm. our way of operating sort yeah. of and I it's one of the things that we could pick up um, mm. is is the statement about the decrees of the Lord make the wise simple, which mm-hmm. is um, as we're going to find out, I think shortly, mm-hmm. uh, connects directly into um, one of the New Testament readings for this week, which yeah. is First Corinthians chapter one. Yeah, we might now move into that. Yeah, and I will. Did you know you could join our Facebook group by the Well for extra content and discussion? Hmm. What can you tell us about this text? Uh, I'm a little lost, <laughs> I will confess. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, would lean on your wisdom as no. a scholar. <laughs> Who is well, referred I, to in this text? No, it's well, indeed. This is, um, is, I think, isn't this what we often find with a letter of Paul, that there's all these big picture stuff, big ideas, and they're kind of interconnected. And in a way, you need to read a whole chunk of the letter to work out what's going on. In fact, sometimes Paul does this kind of back and forth rhetoric that means that if you just literally read the passage under discussion, you might get kind of a little bit confused or Mm. you might even in some cases, not this one probably, but in some cases you might um, get really the wrong end of the stick about it and, and need a bit more context. So for this, actually I would fully encourage people to read from the start of the letter. Mm. This is a funny situation where, um, because the lectionary in Lent sort of picks and chooses a bit more, we don't get like kind of continuous narratives on any of these bits. We just suddenly get this section from 1 Corinthians Mm. and you're not going to come back to it, you know, Mm. like it's just this bit. So um, I really read the broader bit and and be emerging. So what we're going to find is that – is is that it it begins um, after the initial kind of, you know – 
sections of address like we get in in these letters um there's there's a section where we find out a bit about what's going on in the corinthian community um and it's it's a case of division between people that paul is really unkeen on Mm -hmm. he's heard from some people that have come from chloe chloe's people um that uh there is division people are identifying with different leaders some are saying that they're of apollo some are saying that they're of paul uh i'm sorry of Peter um, and then you know there's this thing where Paul is like I'm of Christ you know this is we should be unified in this kind mm-hmm. of way but clearly so he's got some rhetoric around that but clearly there is some kind of underlying thing that is a, a division that's causing trouble so part of what Paul is doing in the preceding the immediately preceding section of what we're going to have in in today's reading is establishing his credentials as as an apostle and he's saying you know um you know that who who you're baptized into into Christ is the main thing, and then he says, "Well, I, I'm grateful I didn't baptize you." Oh, well, actually, I did a few people, and you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. he's he's trying to show that, um, as he will in other places through the letter, that his um, that there is no leader who is more important than another. Although he did found the community, and that does make mm-hmm. him a little bit uh, more important than others. Mm-hmm. But of course, the most important one is Christ. So mm-hmm. he's building up this picture of his credentials, mm-hmm. which then leads into this sort of section. Um, so we've got this. There's sort of like three parts, and the first part is is the section we have for for Lent 3, for this mm. Sunday we're talking about, which is a kind of big picture discussion about foolishness and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's gonna it's going to move into a section afterwards that is about the way that foolishness and wisdom works in the community, saying, mm. you know, you, you, you guys all know that when you were called to faith, um, you didn't have it all together. You weren't wisdom, you weren't wise or strong mm. in the ways mm. of the world, in the eyes of the world, but look, look how this is working. Mm. And then he's going to talk about it in his own preaching mm. and he's going to, you know, talk yeah. about how he's uh, not necessarily that impressive, but he's, but you know, it's the, that only helps the truth of the gospel to shine yeah. through. Yeah. I just just to, to to try and understand this emphasis on wisdom. Yes. Is there something about the Corinthian community that uh, you know that that called for this uh, this emphasis on wisdom? Did they have yeah. some notions of wisdom that um, that Paul was uncomfortable with, and that's why he felt the need to address the issue? Yeah, you, would yeah. you Would you have an answer? Well, the, I don't have an easy, easy answer, answer, but the, there is. There is this. Sometimes people will talk about these kind of different factional kind of groups as being like super apostles. Mm-hmm. So there are these, you know, there are people who have maybe been charismatic leaders who are standing up mm-hmm. and saying stuff and getting their own sort of following mm-hmm. rather than the um, allegiance actually being to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So um, he's so part of what's going on here is him saying, um, uh, well, I guess the implication is that there are there are other people who are claiming a kind of intelligence or, you know, they speak in eloquent ways and they have um, uh, they, they have all these kind of pers- persuasive things on the go. Um, but actually this is not what the truth of the cross is about. Mm, this mm. is about something else. And so when, even when Paul yeah. is less impressive or whatnot, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's because he's speaking the truth of, of, the, of the cross. Yeah, yeah, so basically he's, he's, he's contesting established notions of wisdom and yes. sources of wisdom or sites of wisdom. And I find it, you know, quite 
yeah, intriguing that he mentions the scholar, the yes. debater. Yes, you know, yeah, <laughs> and the, these are all feeling. people who would, who would, you know, who would present themselves as the as the repositories of wisdom huh? yes. by virtue of their study or uh, and so on. And he says, no, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a certain wisdom here, but you know, there are limitations to this wisdom, yes. or um, your kind of wisdom doesn't have the. Uh, the impact that this community need, uh, needs or <laughs> totally i was th- i was reflecting on just this when i was reading this before recording this morning and thinking uh what does it mean for two biblical scholars to get together and mm. talk about the you know where <laughs> what kind of wisdom what is the expertise that mm. we are bringing here in this kind of like really quite um important critique yeah. of that kind of thing and you see that there are other sections in here where we have um uh, you know, there's nice rhetorical flourishes about um, uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got this um, this sense that um, uh, that that there might be some kind of division between between here that mm-hmm. what the sorry the Greeks um, mm-hmm. uh, require uh, wisdom, but in fact we've got this. Um, uh, I, I guess that would be an example of two different kinds of. Um, evidence that might be demanded mm-hmm. and and that this could be a temptation you know that either uh, I mean it's written in these kind of caricatured ways to make mm-hmm. these two groups it's a kind of it's a style of Greek rhetoric mm-hmm. that people would use normally um, normally contrasting Greeks and barbarians but mm-hmm. we've got this kind of um, uh, this kind of thing being set up but instead we've got so for Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, this is verse 22. Mm. And then verse 23 says, but we proclaim Christ mm. crucified, mm. which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Mm. So um, so we have this, uh, how, how we think about what kind of evidence we're looking for, that it's a demand or we're proclaiming something, which actually sort of undoes all of those systems of um, how we might uh, approach knowing. Mm-hmm. How do we know that... Mm-hmm. Um, how, how things are how mm. how things are are true mm. um and 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 then of course i just would want to point out that of course after that in verse 24 we go into um uh, uh, paul talks about those who are who are the called both jews and greeks christ mm. is the power of god and the wisdom of god so mm. there isn't a contrast this is not an anti-jewish um mm. claim mm. Uh, it's also not actually an anti the nations mm. claim mm. it's because the the newly founded Christian community has has both groups within it, mm. but they are the, the the true group here are the people who can embrace this apparent total foolishness mm. of the cross. Yeah, but yeah. as you speak, I'm also hoping that people don't see, read this text as one that is uh, that is uh, uh, professing anti-intellectualism. No, yes, <laughs> thank you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know uh, that that. Yes, all that I think Paul is saying is that wisdom is perhaps not sufficient. Yes, or, or maybe it's, it's not the um, it, it's not the st- the there's a method difference, mm-hmm. but there's not a um, so so the the kind of uh, coming coming at things only through that perspective doesn't um, uh, doesn't ground things in mm. the way you know we need yeah. what we need to be making the subject of our reflection is 
the foolishness of the cross. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mm-hmm. mean we're not using our whole selves, our mm-hmm. intellects and whatnot mm-hmm. in reflecting on the foolishness of the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not persuaded, getting back to the kind of super apostles, mm-hmm. we're not persuaded by the kind of snazzy um, rhetoric, the the kind of showy claims. And we, mm-hmm. we would be able to um, unpack this in a range of other ways in our contemporary setting, like mm-hmm. what, what are the ways of seeing the world that have valorised mm-hmm. um, but actually lead to to nothing good, you yeah. know, the kind yeah. of commercial interests. Right. Um, even, you know, thinking back to how uh, we were talking about in, in Exodus that, you know, like that that is that the Exodus reading was setting up a particular kind of structure of community. Mm. Well, what, what kind of structure of community does this reading lead us to? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I, I mean, I think you could actually do, um, you could do a lot worse than to just reflect entire for an entire service on verse 25. Mm. For the foolishness, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom mm. and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Mm. And how we think about what kind of human society would taking really seriously that mm. verse mm. Uh, create? You know, mm. we're thinking we're recalibrating the categories of how our societies are structured. Mm. Um, maybe putting um, the the weaker at the centre mm. uh, in in line with in in line with our theology, mm. our understanding of God. Mm. Um, and and one thing I'd note about the Greek is that the Greek word for weakness there. Um, Athenos is actually the same word as we get for uh, whenever disability is mentioned oh, wow. in the New Testament. Mm. So here we're talking about God's, when you hear God's weakness, mm. there'd be these other um, nuances mm. you might get, at, you know, God's athenos. Mm. That, well, what, what is that? God's mm. infirmity? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and what does that mean if we're putting that that kind of understanding at, at the centre of our theology and at the centre yeah. of our communities. Right, right. And it reminds me of people who who are living in those situations of marginality, of powerlessness, of, of disability. Mm. Um, when I say not, not only physical disability, but disabled by structures and systems yes. of, uh, of oppression. And, and, and there, is, there is a wisdom that comes out of that experience, you know, which I think... Uh, is also the wisdom of God. Yes, yes. Uh, because God uh, intervenes or God comes down in, into those situations of marginality, yeah. uh, you know, like God did in, 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 in Exodus. And, um, um, yeah, and uses these slaves actually to be God's treasured possession and the future of, of, of the world, so to speak. You know? mm, yeah. Mm. So, uh, so the wisdom that that is uh, embedded in the experiences of of the poor, the uh, the marginalized, the subjugated, the abused, the trauma, traumatized. Mm. Mm. I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually, I think that that is um, a wonderful place to draw our conversation to an end because what what you're describing there, I think, as I think about um, how I might preach on this mm. set of readings, I think there's a wonderful invitation to to actually begin where, where we've ended here mm. and to to imagine um, a, a society grounded on this, think about our theology uh, and this um, uh, invitation to learn from from those um, those kind of so-called uh, uh, weak according to mm. the world, mm. um, those uh, the, the people who are addressed in the Exodus reading as well mm. uh, in how we think about this through Lent. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Monica. Great to speak with you. Yeah, thank you. 
By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.